0: The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hallowed is your name. Father, this is the only reason we can still our souls. There's nothing else in this world that can still our souls like you can, Lord. Father, your name is is beautiful. It's holy, Lord. And we're in such need. Your people are, are so needy, Lord. And yet... You provide all of our needs, Father. Father, your graciousness is without measure to us in Christ. Father, if you did not speak your words to us, we would certainly be lost. We would certainly have no hope for a future or no reason for a life to live, Father. But in Christ, Father, you've, you've spoken to us the words, My life for yours. My life for yours. This is our hope, Father. This is our praise. This is our glory that you've given you life for our life, Father. And so we have a hope in a future, Lord. So, Father, speak to us again. Father, thank you for your messenger who's prepared himself, Lord. We pray that blessing upon him as he speaks to us, Lord, that you would feed us as your children. You'd strengthen us according to our needs. Father, we wouldn't let a root of bitterness grow up in our lives. But we would do that which is pleasing in your sight, Father. For, for that's the desire of our hearts and the heart of every living soul is to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So, Father, feed us and teach us this day that we would hear your words. And look upon the law of liberty that you've given to us in Christ and be renewed. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Chapter 1. We started James back in the uh, middle
1: of November, I think. And um, (coughs) then we took a couple of weeks off for. Something's ringing up here. And it's not in my head. I do have that too sometimes, but that's not what it is. Um, So we started uh, James uh, back in November. Took a couple of weeks off for uh, Advent and Christmas, and then the last two messages beginning this year. Pastor Greg uh, talked about the mission of the church, <clears throat> and James helps us out in this mission as well. Especially the the end of the message last week, if you uh, recall, and what would be the focus of 2018 for Grace on the Ashley, and that's, a, that's a living, living out beyond the walls of this building, uh, what God has called us to do. And so James will help us with that uh, also. <clears throat> Just a little review, quick review, in verses 2 through 12, roughly, at the beginning of this chapter, James is talking about trials, about the testing of our faith, um, reminds us as if we needed reminding that trials is a part of, of the believer's life more so even than the trials of an unbeliever's life um, in many, many ways. And when trials come, they would say, verse 5, when trials come, they demand uh, wisdom uh, from us, from God's Word, to us from God's Word, and, and uh, the Word provides of that wisdom. Then, starting at uh, verse 13, he talks about temptation, um, related to trials in many ways, but he talks about uh, temptation, and when temptations come, they demand also that uh, we have knowledge of the Word of God uh, to attack that so that we may stand firm uh, in. Through the temptations. So whether you're talking about the trials of life or temptations of life, we need the word of God. That, 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 that's the foundation on which we stand. And uh, then at verse 19, where he began uh, today, he goes further <coughs> in additional thoughts, but related. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. At his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. For some of us, that's a good thing. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So God sends trials, he tells us at the beginning there, to change us, to mold us, to shape us into what? He's called us to be, and then the word is used to transform us. In verse 18, I started in 19, but verse 18 is actually the transition verse there. Of his, look at that verse of his own, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of all creatures. And then he says, "Know this, beloved brethren, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger it, those three imperatives there really define the, or describe what we're going to see in the ne- in the next three or four chapters we we um, the, the fir- this first chapter is sort of an overview of of all of James you've got quick to hear it goes all the way to first through chapter two that's that, that regards our hearing as doing, and then slow to speak. That's all of chapter three, talks about the tongue. You'll want to be here for that, right? And then slow to anger. Chapter four talks about all the sources of bitterness in our lives. In many ways, those those three imperatives. Teach us what's the response to the trials of life? What's the response to the temptations of life? Well, let me tell you through the rest of my letter, we'll talk about it. He's writing to believers. We know that. See verse 18 of his own of his own will, he brought us brought us forth by the word of truth. Brought us forth. Um, uh, some translations use the word born. That's what he means. Give, he gave us birth. and uh, Revised Standard Version says, In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth. New International Version, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He's not talking about our first creation. He's talking about us being new creations. Our second birth, being born again. What we see in John 3 when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night talks about the kingdom of God. And Jesus says to see the kingdom of God you've got to be born again. That's what James is talking about here. You who are Christians here today one time you were spiritually dead. That's the phrase, that's the word, the expression Paul uses to talk about our Pre reborn, I don't even think that makes sense. Pre reborn experience in Christ. Um, We were spiritually dead, needed to be reborn. And James tells us of his own will, God chose to birth us, to bring us forth by the word of truth, through the word. When he says word of truth, he's talking about the gospel. Uh, Colossians 1.5, Paul says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. That's what he's talking about. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He wrote to Timothy. Do your your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So he's saying that our second birth, our new creation in Christ, happened by the word of truth when we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We focus on that at Grace. We've heard about it the last two sermons uh, here um, from Pastor Greg our focus on the Word of God, on the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. There's a problem with us in that sometimes we love to testify of the Word-centeredness of our church, how we proclaim the Word and teach the Word, and yet we fail to live it. James is about an active Christianity. If we didn't fail to live it, Pastor Greg wouldn't have had to spend the last one-third of last week's message talking about what we're going to do in 2018. Hey, we're going to live it. That's the short version. You need to listen to the long version on on the Internet. We've seen it already at the beginning of this chapter, how we live it out, and we'll see it in the entire book. Obedience. To the word of God. The psalmist understood this obedience. Psalm 119 1 Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Law, word. That's the word. Those who walk in the law of the Lord, their way is blameless. They're living it out. Uh, Verse 10 of that, uh, Psalm 119 With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much in all riches. In other words, he found everything in the word of God. And in verse 161, he said, my heart stands in all of your words. The word of God is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the Christian life. In it, God speaks to us. Everything in it is true. And our commitment must be to hear it, must be to believe it, and must be to apply it to our lives. That's been the thrust of what Pastor Greg's taught the last two weeks. Now, why am I talking about the Word of God when uh, verse 19 says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? At first glance, it could be that hey, he just threw in, in those two verses, he just threw in a proverb for us to meditate on. It has no connection with anything else uh, around here. And very often, if you've, if you've heard sermon, my, my my hunch is, if you've heard sermons on these two verses, they were taken completely out of context. It's interpreted that way just as a nice little proverb but you can't pull two verses out of context make any godly sense out of them because that yields to misinterpretation uh, misinterpretation leads to just grossly distorted scriptures cults are famous for that the, 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 the context of 19 and 20 are tied to 16 through 18. And read it all, but he says, verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And knowing this, Since you know this, beloved brothers, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's a reason you have one mouth and two ears. Spiritual birth comes through the Word, verse 18. That's before 19 and 20. Verse 21, the Word is received and implanted. Verse 24, the Word acts as a mirror to God's will. Verse 25, the Word is the law of the new age. All that, how can we just take 19 and 20 out of there and talk about how it is to keep your mouth shut? We can't. So it makes sense that verse 19 is talking about the Word of God. In order to maximize your reception of the Word of God, you need to listen, you you do need to keep your mouth shut, and you need to refrain from anger. So today, we're not going to do all these verses as you've already figured out. How's the word received? And next week, we'll talk about how's the word practiced. Simple way is, what go, how's it go in? How's it come out? That's what these verses teach us. James is saying that in view of the fact that we're now New creatures in Christ, he says that in verse 18. First fruits. There's some vital truths that you need to know to grow as sons and daughters who've been born again. The potential to grow and be Christ-like. There's some truths you need to learn. The thrust of the there's a great framing of all this. Verse 18 being talking about being a born again, and we'll end. At verse 21, and he talks about the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So we frame this picture this morning. So he starts. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers. That, that connects, as I said already, with verse 18. What does he mean by this? Know this. Well, you know the power of the word of truth. You know this already. I'm writing to Christians. I'm writing to believers at Grace on the Ashley Church. You know this already, the power of the Word of Truth. He caused us to be born again by that Word. He regenerated us. He raised us from the dead. He gave us life. He saved us. He redeemed us by that Word of Truth. This you know In other words, you've already experienced the power of the Word, the power of the Lord in your life. Peter goes along with this thinking in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So know this, brothers and sisters. This has happened to you. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Since you know the power of the word of truth in your life, here's how you are to continue to move forward in walking with Christ. Be excited to hear. Be expectant as you hear. Take every opportunity you can to sit under the proclamation of the word of God. Now, we can use it in a practical sense. It's good. It makes sense. It's a great proverb. There are other proverbs that sound just like it. You can use it in your own interpersonal relationships. I'm not saying you can't. You actually can in this case. A little anonymous poem to remind us of that. If all that we say in a single day with never a word left out, were printed each night in clear black and white would prove strange reading, no doubt. And then just suppose before our eyes we could close, we must read the whole record through. Then wouldn't we sigh and wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do? And I more than half think that many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half that we say in a single day were left forever unsaid. Though it's true. You can live like that. But it's not going to help your walk with the Lord. It might help you in your relationships with others. James is talking about us being too quick to relate to the message of God's Word. You receive some new revelation that you've learned. and, 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 And and yet you're, you're not quick enough to sit under the Word of God and be silent and let it sink in. And then you spout off at the mouth and have some argument with somebody and then anger steps in. And you don't even know what you're talking about. While we do all the talking, we're not listening. And the person who talks a lot does so for many reasons. And for all those reasons it keeps that person from listening and from growing like i said the writer of proverbs had some things to say about that proverbs 10:19 when words are many transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent proverbs 17:27 whoever restrains his words has knowledge he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding that being slow to speak speaks quietness in our lives. It's not direct in that hymn we sang, but be still, my soul reminds me of that. Sometimes you need quiet to hear your own know, private time. Charles Wesley, in one of his hymns, wrote, When quiet in my room I sit, thy book be my companion still, my joy thy sayings to repeat, talk o'er the records of thy will, and search the oracles divine till every heartfelt word is mine. You can do that in your quiet prayer closet. Some of us aren't good at being quiet. I thought I'd get a chuckle out of that. If we were good at being quiet, we'd be quick to hear. Back in 1981, I went on my first out-of-the-country mission trip to Haiti. During those two weeks, I don't even know why, but during those two weeks, I took a book with me. I might have taken the book because we were doing construction work on a school, and so I decided maybe I could use the excuse to read instead. But I read a book called Nurturing Silence in a Noisy Heart. I revisited that mindset in Spain just a few months ago. I realized being quick to hear creates a quiet life because it rules out being quick to speak. Those two things go together. Are you quick to hear the Word of God? Some of us are here today out of habit. We're not necessarily here because we're quick to hear the Word. It's a cultural thing. It's something I've done in my entire life. That's why you came. Your your only friends are here in this church and you like to hang with your friends and you can only see them on Sunday altogether some of you are here cuz you were just drug here spouse wife brings a, drags a husband to church husband drags a wife to church parents drag their kids to church it's what you do on sunday not quick to hear to hear for other reasons Some are here because they're hungry for the Word, quick to hear at every opportunity have. That's what you do on Sunday and other days as well. He says, be slow to speak too. I learned that from one of the first... It's head knowledge. I learned it from one of the first pastors I served with when I was a church staff member. I was a minister of music at a church. And during those 15, 20 years, I was a church staff member before I was a pastor. I worked under, served with several pastors, some good, some not so good, but you learn from all of them. Some you learn what to do, and some you learn what not to do. But there was one I learned being slow to speak from, and I'll be forever grateful. I don't practice it very well. That's the harder part. That's why James says in chapter 3, James 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And then the rest of the chapter, he talks about your mouth. Way to go, James. Even Paul tells Timothy, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Be careful. Don't be in a hurry to speak. We'll deal with all that as we get to chapter 3. Alec Motyer says, The great talker is rarely a great listener, and never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. Slow to speak does not mean never speak, but speak with due thought and care. And Spurgeon says, Because it is by the word that we are begotten, let us be swift to hear it. Slow to speak, because there's so much sin in us that the less we speak, the better. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Great talkativeness is seldom dissociated from great sinfulness. And then his next step is slow to wrath, slow to anger. Here's what I think James is saying here with regard to the Word of God that He used to save your soul. Make listening a priority. Take every opportunity. Be slow to speak. Slow to react. Don't be hasty in declaring that new teaching you learned. Somebody brought me some some false teaching here from the newspaper somewhere before church service even started. Some teaching that heaven and hell doesn't exist. That same organization sent out a a, a publication that denies the Trinity too just recently. That new revelation, that thing you just learned. And I tell you what, you open up those magazines and, and, and that false teaching and you read it and you think, well, now that kind of makes sense. They're good at that. Satan is deceptive. Don't just spout off the mouth when you learn something new. Dig in. Be quick to hear so it will sink in. Not, there will be plenty of opportunities for anger. You might not be slow to speak, and all of a sudden an argument takes place. Or the truth of God's word, you might, you, <laughs> they go together. You might be, um, you might be quick to hear, and you might hear God's truth. And you realize you got to give up that sin you love so much. That'll make you angry as well. So be slow to anger. Points out your disobedience, and you find yourself angry because you don't want to say no to that sin. People resent things when they hear things they don't believe in. They're offended by the truth. Paul was worried about that with the Galatians. Galatians four sixteen. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Maybe some people got mad at Paul. I would have. Very slow to becoming angry and resentful. Because God's Word is slowly working in you. And why? There at the end of verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What's the purpose of teaching the Word? What's the purpose of being quick to hear and having that Word sink in to your life? What's the purpose of that? Produce righteousness in your life. To fill your heart with the righteousness of God. To make you right with God. It can't happen if you're fighting it. It can't happen if you're resenting it. It can't happen if you have an evil attitude towards it. That's why Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Glenn Moyer says, At any rate, an angry spirit is never an attentive one. When anger comes in, listening flies out. The courts of men are our drill ground for the courts of the Lord. Those who would listen to him must train themselves to be listeners, and to that end they must covet and cultivate A reticent tongue and a calm temper. For nothing must militate against. Rather, everything must be made an adjunct to that great fundamental practice, hearing God's word. And what helps you do that? What helps you do what verse 19 tells you to? Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Peter, again, follows this thought, First Peter 2, 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and all slander. Put away. It's really the, the term that's used for taking off your clothes. The, 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 the removal of clothes... Um, It's often used as a a biblical picture. Paul uses it a lot. Spiritual characteristics. In Romans 13, Galatians 3, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, about five different times in that chapter, and Peter does too. Put away all malice. Dirty clothing is the picture we see in the Old Testament. It's used for sin. Greek word there is ruparia. And um, the root of that word is rupas, uh, which actually sometimes means a buildup of wax in your ears. Early Greeks used that term for that. A buildup of wax in your ear. You it may refer to that, that picture of... That buildup of unholiness in your life so that you can't hear. So that you can't be quick to hear. Or a buildup of sin in your life that keeps you from hearing. And that and and that that buildup in your ear, it can become so severe that you become deaf. And you can die from a buildup of sin in your life as well. Great words in the other translations that help us see what this put away all filthiness is. Um, New American Standard, all that remains of wickedness. Overflow of wickedness. Great growth of wickedness. All wicked conduct. Remnants of evil in the New Jerusalem Bible. The most vivid description of what this is talking about comes from the Puritan John Trapp who says, The stinking filth of a pestilent ulcer. Sin is the devil's vomit, the soul's excrement, the superfluity or garbage of naughtiness, as it is here called by an allusion to the garbage of the sacrifices cast into the brook Kedron. That is, the town ditch. Get rid of that stuff, James James is telling us before you can properly receive the word it's important that you get rid of the barriers that will keep that word from from filtering into your life they will they will keep you from from the godly reception of that word those barriers are sin or filthiness as he says before you can receive the full benefit of god's words the, the and what God's word supplies, you've got to deal with sin in your life. You believers, before you can receive the full benefit, you've got to deal with sin in your life. You unbelievers here today, before you can even receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got to deal with sin in your life. Someone sort of paraphrased this verse: said, separate yourself. From the world, then saturate yourself with the Word. If an angry mind will spoil the Word coming into your life, so will a dirty mind. The King James translates that superfluity of naughtiness. I wish the ESV people had stuck with that. Superfluity of naughtiness. Now, that's dealing... With the phrase, um, rampant wickedness. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant w- wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word. You know, I liked that translation, superfluity of naughtiness. Because talk about naughty little boys and I when I was younger that term applied to me in many many ways and I even heard people say that about me I was quite that naughty boy but even now I'm not unaware of how dirty my heart still is and I see it in the Word every single day. That's why a little bit later he says the Word is a mirror. Look at yourself. You see. Did God speak to you through the Word of truth this week? James says, Re- receive the implanted Word. Again, King James uh, translated that, engrafted. This is the metaphor of planting that we see in Matthew 13. It's talking about humans who already have the implanted word, which they must receive by faith. We know from the Old Testament that the law is written on our hearts, right? We've already received the implanted word. Now receive the external word. It's already in you. You should receive it. It's rooted. It's planted in you. It, it brought you life. It's there sustaining that life by feeding your faith in Christ, those of you who are believers. It's not in you like one of your organs, like your heart or your lungs or some organ that's already already there and just sitting there and doing its thing. Someone compared it more like oxygen. You need oxygen to live. It's there, but you have to receive it. And it gives life, but only as you receive it. The implanted Word of God written on your heart and the external Word of God are so united that it causes life, eternal life. You, you live by having it implanted in you, and you live by receiving it as well. It's at work in us, Paul says. The work it does in us makes us want to receive it. The implanted work creates the hunger in us to receive the external work. Just a word he says, receive it with meekness. How does he say that? With meekness, the implanted word. In this context, on hearing, being quick to hear the word of God, I think I think meekness there is dealing with teachability. Submission to God's word. The opposite of receiving the word with meekness would be to receive it with suspicion or to receive it as a skeptic. Because you, you doubt that all of it or you doubt that quite possibly some of it might not be true or some of it might not even be good. It's not receiving it with meekness or teachability. Or to receive it with some prideful self-assurance that hey, I'm spiritual enough, I'm smart enough to understand it and apply it, and I really don't need God's help. It's the opposite of receiving it with meekness. But he says, receive it with meekness. When you open your Bible, say to God, I trust you, I submit to you, I need you to help me in this. Open my eyes to the greatness of Your truth in this Word that I'm receiving. We say, satisfying the spiritually hungry with the all-sufficient Word of God. So our mindset, our prayer should be, God, satisfy my soul with all of Yourself that's revealed in this book. Satisfy my life with all of Yourself that's revealed in this book. I commit my life to the absolute truth of it. In meekness and humility, I look to You. Come to me through Your Word. Is that your prayer? Be quick to hear. And why is it important? Because it's able to save your souls. John Calvin says, a strong incentive to correct our dullness in hearing the Word. That Word which we hear so carelessly is able to save us. It's the instrument to save us. The Holy Spirit carries the Word into our dead hearts and causes us to see the truth of Christ and our need for Him. Hear that sentence one more time. You're here today and you don't know Christ. The Holy Spirit carries the Word into our dead hearts and causes us to see the truth of Christ as we've never ever seen before. The Gospel. We are given life through the Word of Truth. The Word of God. Jesus pointed that out in the parable of the soils. You might can relate to this or some part of this for the people who I've got a captive audience. Go ahead and turn back to Matthew 13, verse three. The sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some, did I say Matthew 13? Yeah, that's what I meant. The sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path. The birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. Thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, not full of wax, let him hear. Fall on the hard ground. The path accomplishes nothing. That word falls on the stony ground. Accomplishes nothing on the thorny ground. It accomplishes nothing on the good ground it produces. Oh, be quick to hear. That's good ground. Being quick to hear is good ground. It's the same truth. The seed is the same. It's the same seed. It's the same truth. It's falling on different places. Be quick to hear. That word is powerful enough to totally transform a person's life. It's powerful enough to sanctify you. And if you can be quick to hear and have it transform your life, then you can obey it. And that's next week. Your trials grow you to desire obedience. It's what your trials do. You talked about that at the beginning of this chapter. They grow you to desire obedience. The Word empowers you to be slow to speak and put away sin. You think about that. It's God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we've come together united in our hearts and minds in in song and prayer, proclamation of your word. We pray that this word might pierce our hearts. It might stay with us all week long until we get to the next part of this passage. It's crucial in the life of this congregation. Do your work in each of us. Move us from where we are now to where you want us to be. For the one here today, Father, who hasn't confessed faith in Jesus Christ today, we pray that this might be their day that Your Word, Your powerful Word, might work, transform their lives to a sold-out believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your Word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.